Good morning, everyone. We want to welcome you to Sunday service on this beautiful Labor Day weekend. For those who don't know us, uh, my name is Anayaswami Anandi. This is Anayaswami Bharat. We especially want to welcome our guests and visitors and those who are joining us online. And today is the birthday of Anayaswami Bharat. So, <laughs> so, if you would just take a moment and just focus at your spiritual eye and just send him a little burst of light and blessing for his birthday. Thank you. Thank you. We'll begin this morning with reading from a passage uh, from a book called Rays of the One Light that are commentaries uh, comparing the Bible and the Bhagavad Gita, written by Swami Kriyananda. And this week's reading is called, Who are the True Christians? Truth is one and eternal. Realize oneness with it in your deathless self within. The following commentary is based on the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda. Jesus Christ said in chapter 10 of the Gospel of St. John, all that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. Many Christians, not surprisingly, quote this saying in condemnation of other spiritual teachers, not only the Old Testament prophets, but also Buddha, Krishna, and others who lived before Jesus, as well as, by inference, any who came after him. Yet Jesus himself said in St. Matthew chapter 5, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Nowhere do we find Jesus condemning or even gently criticizing other spiritual masters. His criticisms were reserved for worldly attitudes and for those hypocritical Pharisees who had allowed religion to become, for them, a pretense. Paramahansa Yogananda explained that the expression, all that ever came before me, referred to those spiritual teachers who placed their egos and their self-importance ahead of the Christ consciousness, in the sense of drawing people's devotion to themselves, and not offering it where alone it truly belongs, to God. Yogananda himself was very firm in this regard. For example, he never spoke of anyone as his disciple. Instead, he always insisted, they are God's disciple. God is the guru, not I. Ego is a way station on the soul's journey toward enlightenment. The soul is first trapped in lower bodily forms. Slowly it evolves to the human level, at which point self-consciousness appears. Only in human form can self-consciousness transcend material form altogether, including the lower identity of ego consciousness, and discover the true divine self within. 
Self-consciousness manifested as ego is an incentive to, deli- to deliberate self-development. Later in this process of development, however, the ego becomes an obstruction. Inevitably, new spiritual aspirants do not emerge effortlessly from the vortex of ego consciousness. Desire must be offered up resolutely and ever more wholeheartedly on the altar of infinity. It is a gradual process, and few even among those who seek to help others are free of ego. If, however, their motive in teaching is not to serve, but to be served, they deserve a severe reprimand, as Jesus gave them. For their direction of development is no longer upward, but downward. In the name of giving up desires, they are creating new ones. As it says in the Bhagavad Gita, in the third chapter, Desire obscures even the wisdom of the wise. Their relentless foe it is, a flame never quenched. Intellect, mind, and senses, these combined are referred to as the seat of desire. (coughs) Excuse me. Desire through them deludes and eclipses the discrimination of the embodied soul. O Arjuna, discipline your senses, and having done so, work to destroy desire annihilator of wisdom and of self-realization. Give God the credit for everything you do. See him as the true doer. Thus, through Holy Scripture, God has spoken to mankind. like to read from Whispers from Eternity, a book of mystical uh, poems by Paramahansa Yogananda. Um, Thou master piper, blow thy music through the reed of all religions, so often broken by sectarian selfishness, and bring, bring forth thy one theme of truth. Dress the divine melody with many golden chords, showing the richness of thy spirit. And, O Master Piper, gather together from all the highways and byways of truth's numerous expressions, all the uncompleted songs of lonely hearts seeking attunement with thee, and let them flow into complete melodies of joy through the love-playing flute of life. O my silent-tuned radio mind, I listen daily for thy thrilling, anciently familiar flute notes. I tried to tune into them, but thou seems so far, far away, and at first the busy static of restlessness crackled in my silence. Then at last, however, with a few fine, carefully touches of concentration, I heard a soft rustling sound as if on wings of space, and suddenly I heard thee piping softly, and then more loudly, and ever more loudly, with a swelling chorus of earth's goodness, and the latent nobility in all hearts. <laughs> Today I'd like to talk about who are the true Christians. Uh, in 1985, 
uh, a lot of members of the community and people living uh, uh, beyond uh, the village uh, went with Swami Kriyananda for a pilgrim to the Holy Land. And at one point, uh, every pilgrim goes to the River Jordan. Uh, and they have a, quite a, a formal scene there where they have, you can get your white robe and uh, they have little bars that go down into the river. It's a very small river. And then people follow into the river and you can get a, com a complete uh, immersion baptism, not just sprinkled water on you. And so there are a lot of different spiritual groups there and a, a lot of different denominations from all over the world. And uh, when it was our turn, uh, down in the river was uh, Ram and Diana, and they grew up Baptists, and they were the full immersion Baptists. And so <laughs> they were in the water, and they were singing, uh, See the Baby Jesus, Lying in the Major. And we would walk in, and then they would dunk us in the water. Uh, and then as we would walk out, uh, there was Swami Kriyananda, and he would bless us at the spiritual eye. And, and then we would kind of go back over, kind of behind the group, and all the other de uh, denominations, it was a real kind of communal thing where everybody was so excited about going into the Jordan River that everybody is really for everybody. Uh, and so they would just ask, now, what denomination are you? Because they couldn't put all the pieces together. <laughs> <laughs> But I, I was thinking about today's topic, and um, you know, when when it's uh, when we operate by belief, we're operating by opinions, aren't we? And uh, and they're all different, uh, and it's only through direct experience uh, that we have uh, a unity and, and harmony uh, with truth, because uh, we uh, it's more about and in God rather than about God. I, as I was meditating this morning, this image uh, flashed in my mind about a mountain. Uh, before you climb the mountain, uh, you talk about what's the best way up the mountain, uh, what should you take, what kind of food should you eat, and there's a lot of different thoughts on it, uh, m uh, most of them right, uh, uh, and it's a matter of taste. Uh, but when, once people are up on top of the mountain, they aren't talking about the gear uh, or the different routes. They're just immersed in the vast blue sky and the feeling of exaltation of the experience. And it's all about uh, being in the experience. And as uh, a soul journeys higher and higher in self-realization, uh, it's all about that experience. It's a sign of spiritual maturity that when you take great delight, in the expansive openness in other people and their sense of lo uh, universal love that they have. And more and more, we, we just feel that, that the world is made from love and uh, is an expression of God's love for us. And with God's love, we channel and, and, and uh, bless other people uh, in that way. And it, it's all about God. It's not about our opinions of God. Uh, when Swami Kriyananda's uh, mother passed away in um, the Bay Area, town of Atherton, uh, there was a service uh, there. And uh, at one point during the service, there were a lot of Ananda members uh, there. And uh, the, the, the pastor, the priest, uh, said that uh, only Christians should uh, do this ritual that was uh, part of the ceremony. 
And so there were some Ananda members uh, thinking, well, we aren't this kind of Christian. <laughs> so they didn't do the ritual. But Swami told everyone afterwards, don't let anyone define for you what Christianity is. Uh, because it's just all, uh, you know, about their type of Christianity. And it, it, it's, it's just a, a, a thought form. You know, uh, Jesus in our Kondara teachings, as we know, uh, appeared uh, to Babaji and said, send an emissary to the West. And that emissary was Paramahansa Yogananda. And uh, Yogananda was once visiting a monastery, a Catholic monastery in St. Louis. And I'm not sure what year it was, if it was the 30s or perhaps the 40s. But if you can imagine way back then, uh, it's probably before most of our time. But if a a, a long-haired man with an orange robe coming into the monastery and people not knowing what to do. Uh, And that was the reaction uh, of the monks there. And there was a lot of kind of chaos. uh, But the abbot was a very saintly man and he had seen Yogananda in his meditation. And he came out and he said, oh man of God, I'm glad you're here. And he welcomed him because with the saints, there's no differences because they're in that uh, consciousness. I had a chance to visit Mount Athos. It's a peninsula uh, in Greece. And it's where a lot of the Desert Fathers went uh, after they were uh, pushed out of Egypt with the uh, 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 Muslim expansion. And uh, one of the uh, uh, saintly uh, monks there, it was really a special place. It's a wilderness. Essentially, there are 20 different monasteries and uh, different uh, Orthodox ones. And uh, uh, he he told me, there's only one rule uh, in Mount Athos, and that's to live in the consciousness of God. And you know, since the 13th century, we've all gotten along. Uh, And and so, um, you know, it's... You know, the, getting into differences just doesn't help, does it? There's um, St. Saint, uh, Paul, uh, he talked about how we're all adopted songs of, uh, sons of Christ. And uh, there's a, a Christian theologians, uh, they talk about there's a difference between us and Jesus. And, but, uh, you know, in Teresa of Avila, she uh, merged with the formless Christ Uh, and went beyond uh, mental visualizations as she was being coached uh, to do, um, they made an exception for her. Uh, (laughs) And they've always made an exception for the the saints. Uh, But tradition-wise, it's not something that you do. Uh, But uh, what uh, St. Paul said, that we're adopted sons until the divine life flows through us. And that's a, uh, it's a phrase uh, that Yogananda frequently said over and over again, uh, to those that received him, uh, to them gave he the power to become the sons and daughters of God. And I was thinking about that and what he had said and a statement that Swami Kriyananda said uh, when he was with us, that he said that I can no longer tell the difference between where Kriyananda ends and Yogananda begins. He was so immersed uh, in, uh, in, uh, in Yogananda's consciousness uh, that there wasn't any difference. And uh, it, it, the true disciple is one who attains uh, the Guru's consciousness. Uh, it's not one who believes or uh, thinks they're right. 
but has that uh, consciousness in themselves. Now, what keeps us from that consciousness? Uh, Swami Kriyananda in the Gita, he talks about um, what keeps the ego going life after life, and he said even yuga after yuga, uh, and for you know, millions of lives. And he said it's one simple thing, uh, and it's uh, desire. And you know, a master's energy uh, comes from the back of the, the brain, uh, the medulla oblongata, and uh, it, where uh, Jesus called it the mouth of God, as we know. And that cosmic energy goes straight to the spiritual eye. Because a master is just free in God and doesn't have any desires. But uh, for most of us, um, uh, that energy through desires, it pulls that energy down into the spine. And uh, the desires uh, create a, a vortex uh, and that traps the energy. And then the energy can no longer flow all the way up uh, to the spiritual eye where we experience enlightenment. And so it's, it's desire that uh, traps us, isn't it? Uh, there was, um, uh, Yogananda talked about how he was driving, uh, being driven in a car and down a street. And all of a sudden he saw this vision. And, and he saw all the other people that used to live here. Uh, he saw that they, of course, um, they were no longer there. And he said that they were very sure about life. Uh, but God... Uh, said to Yogananda, I didn't create this world for people to indulge in their uh, emotions. Uh, I created temptation uh, to see if people would be uh, uh, tempted to find me, their creator. And this is the whole purpose of creation. And once we figure that out, uh, God will come to us. But desires, uh, as we know, uh, they frequent us, and it's hard to get rid of all the desires at once. It's more seems to be more of an immediate thing. I was meditating on that, where we we we're sort of aware of something that we want outside ourselves, and uh, we see can see the consequences of it if we have enough discrimination. We uh, we know it's not a good thing, and we maybe even can see it played out in our life uh, uh, if it's intense enough. And uh, we, we offer that up. Uh, Dr. Lewis, one of the uh, foremost disciples, the early disciples of Paramahansa Yogananda, uh, he was admiring a car. And it was a nice big car, a new car. And uh, Yogananda said to Dr. Lewis, watch your desires, doctor. <laughs> and uh, there's a, this um, example that uh, Yogananda shared uh, he said that um, it's how cosmic consciousness is compressed into, um, well, actually, he said that a million cubic feet of air uh, gets compressed into one cubic feet of air. And he was liking it to how we compress our experience or awareness of cosmic consciousness and compress it into body consciousness. And when we have a desire something, you know, and the ego is defined as uh, the ego being identified with the body and you could say personality. Uh, what it does is it confines our experience of cosmic consciousness into a tiny portion of matter. And what's the problem with that? Uh, well, uh, Yogananda was uh, talking about uh, Divine Mother speaking to uh, him. Uh, she frequently did, uh, or all the time she did, yet probably more correctly. 
And she was very disappointed in her human children uh, because uh, her body was as big as the cosmos and, um, and her human children were identifying themselves as just tiny little uh, beings, but their soul consciousness was so much greater. Well, so um, when we um, are identified with something small, uh, like I said, we're confined by that. But once the air breaks its container, it just naturally flows out into the surrounding air. And that's how our consciousness expands outward when we commune with the own vibration or just universal love and joy. Uh, our, our consciousness expands uh, and we become more of who uh, we really are. And so this is why the saints say, don't be attached. Uh, Swami was, uh, Kriyananda was talking about uh, we could uh, be delighted in the human touch or we could touch the whole universe. The choice is ours. Uh, what do you choose? Uh, and uh, when, we, uh, when you go deep uh, into uh, Om, um, you feel yourself vibrating through every atom in creation and your consciousness just expands. And in the, then you go e even deeper into the stillness, uh, the center of that vibrating atom, and that's uh, where the Christ consciousness is. Uh, Swami said that to, um, uh, you should follow uh, uh, the roots of movement uh, to that stillness. And, well, that may sound like that's a really big thing, and gee, I haven't done that. But Swami Kriyananda said also, when we're doing Hong Sa, uh, we, we inhale, we exhale, but there's a pause in the middle, isn't there? And he said, in that pause uh, is the Christ consciousness, and in that stillness. And what do we do with the Hong Sa technique, uh, where we're breathing and in, in, inhaling and exhaling? Uh, we, we experience more and more that pause and we go deep into that pause and that will lead us uh, to, um, to that experience. And so every time we meditate, we're attuning to the Christ consciousness, aren't we? In a very, very real, uh, tangible way. So uh, regarding desires, sometimes they think, uh, one could think, well, gee, this is a big thing to give up, and maybe on the beginning of the path, uh, we think, well, gee, I, uh, what do I have if I give away my desires? I don't have anything. Uh, and, uh, but uh, the teachings assure us that um, everything that, giving, uh, that is given to God is blessed a thousandfold. And there's a beautiful story of a beggar who was standing by the road, and the king came by. And the beggar had nothing. He had uh, just a, a ratty shirt and ratty pants, no shoes. And he would thought, oh, today's my good fortune. The king has come by. And, uh, and so he held out both hands and, uh, and was very eager to what the king would give him. And the king uh, you know, smiled at him. And he, uh, he asked a question that the beggar had never been asked before. Uh, and the king said, what do you have to give me? And the beggar thought for a moment, oh, I have nothing. And then he remembered that he did get some rice from somebody uh, just a little while ago. So he took three little grains of that rice. And then he gave it to the king. And the king uh, blessed him and, uh, and then went on. And that when he got home, 
he emptied out his pockets to uh, see how much rice he had. And he noticed he had three kernels of gold uh, in place of those three kernels of rice that he gave uh, to God. And so, you know, Christ, when he came, he said, I have come so that you may live life more abundantly. What did he mean by that? Well, the mystical aspect of Christianity is, is that by giving up desire, by loving God, we withdraw the life force and we offer it up. Remember, our master's energy goes all the way up to the Christ center. Uh, and uh, that life force is now concentrated and uh, life force is God. And, uh, and so we feel more of God. We feel more uh, our soul nature in that experience. And so more and more we, we realize that. I was, a little while ago, I was thinking about how could the saints be just so all-consuming in their devotion and their earnestness. And we all have that. And uh, we all try to perfect um, that in ourselves. Uh, but more and more, it's because you're feeling this flow uh, with spirit and uh, just how God is just so relishable, as the teachings say. We, we feel this joy and nothing can touch it. And that's what leads us to give up everything that is less. Um, because we know that our happiness doesn't uh, lie there. Uh, there. I want to tell you a story about a, a, a Christian saint, um, one that uh, Swami had met. Uh, he was Romanian, and uh, many of us in the community had the good fortune to hear him speak in Grass Valley. And uh, he, um, j right after the communists had taken over Romania, uh, he was attending, he was a pastor, and uh, he was attending a, a a big gathering of the communists and church leaders, and Richard Warmbrandt uh, stood up and proclaimed that uh, communism and Christianity are incompatible with each other. Uh, well, that sent him to prison, uh, and uh, he was uh, he went. They immediately put him into solitary confinement uh, for three years. He was buried underground, uh, 12 feet. He had no window uh, for three straight years. And at one point in the silence, he heard uh, the Holy Spirit, the own vibration. Uh, and just so strong, it was a music that he felt I could listen to for eternity. And uh, during that time, he would compose a, a sermon every night or every uh, day. He slept, no, he slept during the day and uh, uh, developed a sermon every night. And, and then uh, they were in the, in the prison with his other Christian uh, cellmates. And there was such joy and such exaltation uh, that um, they would sing uh, praise to God. And they would use their chains as symbols because uh, they just felt such ecstasy. Well, the guards watching this, some of them, they felt that ecstasy too. And they started singing <laughs> with, the, uh, with the Christians. And they uh, became prisoners uh, <laughs> like the Christians. <laughs> but, not the, but they really weren't prisoners anymore uh, because their consciousness was big. Uh, and then um, it came time to let him out. And he was warned not to uh, preach anymore. And he said that when he got out of prison, the only colors he saw were gray and brown. That was it. 
And when he got outside, he was just enthralled by the greenness of the grass and the trees and the smile on the children's faces. And he wanted to come up and touch the children on the face, but he knew that people wouldn't understand an adult <laughs> doing this, so he had to restrain himself. But you know, that very day he began preaching again. And he got sentenced back into prison for 25 years. Uh, luckily, he didn't have to serve that whole time. He was ransomed out. But, uh, you know, I, I just thought it's such a wonderful example of uh, Christ's admission, uh, admission uh, to love God uh, with your heart completely. And uh, he just had no other desire uh, that I know of um, uh, besides just the one desire to love God. And this is what it takes uh, uh, to find God. Uh, but, you know, it's... The journey gets sweeter and more beautiful, as we all know, uh, as we go in this direction. It's just more and more joy and more and more bliss is what the devotee experiences. And I know that we've experienced that too. And that's what leads us on. It's just a, a heavenly journey, uh, more and more in the spirit of the Christ consciousness. And so may we all grow ever deeper in our one committed goal and that's to find God, to love God, and to live in his consciousness, and to share his consciousness. Bless you all. strong.